Welcome to the Infrastructure Show. I'm your host, Professor Joseph Schofer of Northwestern University. The Infrastructure Show is designed to present to listeners the reality of America's infrastructure, its condition, why it is the way it is, and what can be done about it. We gratefully acknowledge contributions to sustain the Infrastructure Show from Dr. Robert Peskin, Dr. Raymond Ellis, and Andrea and Ron DeFeo. On June 11, 2023, a gasoline truck rolled over and caught fire under Interstate 95 in Philadelphia, causing the northbound lanes of this critical roadway to collapse and shutting down a nine-mile section of I-95 both north and south directions. The disruption generated a transportation crisis for Philadelphia that spread up and down the East Coast. Facing the prospects of a many-month reconstruction process, the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation led a rapid response team to implement an extraordinary repair effort, restoring this section of I-95 to full use in just 12 days. Here to tell us about this quick response transportation project is Lou Belmonte, who's district executive for the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. Lou, I really appreciate your spending a few minutes with us today. Thank you, Professor. My pleasure. Uh, When you found out about this shutdown of I-95, what were your expectations about the restoration process and how long it would take? Well, you know, a lot of things popped into my mind. It's not the call you want to get, you know, particularly on a Sunday morning. Um, You know, one of the first things that popped into my mind is, you know, well, obviously we have to open this as soon as possible, but perhaps we can do a crossover. You know, perhaps, uh, you you know, it was the northbound side had collapsed and the hope initially was, you know, to try to find a reason to justify at least putting some traffic on the southbound side. Um, But shortly after inspecting the southbound bridge, we declared that unusable even in a temporary condition. So that idea of any crossover wasn't feasible. Um, So it it pretty much directed us right to, you know, we need to fill this hole. We basically need to fill it. Um, Lead time for structural steel is substantial. Um, It's on a significant skew. It was unlikely anything fabricated like some sort of temporary bridge would, would be available. You know, so luckily, I mean, relatively luckily, uh, fortunately, this was over a ramp, which carries about 11,000 daily vehicles, but it wasn't over another interstate or, you know, something of another high volume uh, expressway, which may have added another level of consideration. So you said a lot of things that are that are interesting and important. Why were the southbound lanes unusable? Was it because of the heat from the fire? Yes. Um, uh, you know, what we have been told, I mean, I'm not an expert in that, but I, th- our understanding is that the heat reached, I believe, 1800 degrees. So there are videos on social media of people, you know, driving, um, you know, in, in the southbound direction while the, you know, while the flames, even after the, the northbound side collapsed. And you can kind of see the, the, the dip in the road. I mean, it's, it's alarming. Um, and honestly, we had a bridge inspection. One of the first things we did, obviously, was activate our incident command center 24-7 and you know, bring in an inspection team, a bridge inspection team. And, you know, as, as we went from beam to beam, you know, the side closer to the northbound to, to the opposite side, um, eight beams there. Each one had less and less kind of distortion, but they all had distortion. Um, so it, it was uh, it, it was a relatively easy call just to... Um, um, you know, make that. I mean, what was really alarming is, um, you know, once you see those videos, 
and the dip that cars are, are doing, well, when you're actually out there now, you don't see near that dip. There is a little bit, but not as much. So that um, steel basically transformed a little bit and then re-solidified. So we just weren't comfortable with the with the you know the makeup of, of what the steel was going to give us at that point. What actions did you do to manage the traffic? That is, I assume you were, worked on diversions. Yes. So we had um, we knew right off the bat that you know this thing pushes at least one hundred and sixty thousand cars a day. So we knew um, one detour was not going to suffice. So you know through our regional traffic management center. Um, we, we coordinated with um, Delaware, with, with New Jersey, and, and basically, you know, informed, put the, put the message out that any through traffic would be really wise to, to use I-295 or use, you know, one of the alternates, um, you know, and avoid I-95 through um, Philadelphia. So that definitely helped. We have the only real, the best loop we had, um, you know, relatively locally is U.S. Route 1, um, Roosevelt Boulevard, we call it, and unfortunately has, you know, 50 to 60 traffic signals on it over over 10 or 12 miles. So it's not ideal, but it does carry 12 lanes, six in each direction. So, you know, at least it was a facility that could potentially handle additional traffic. Um, so we made that, we kind of called that our global detour and then we worked with the city of Philadelphia police department to kind of implement what we were calling local detours, you know, a lot closer to um, I-95, like straight off the, you know, the, the last closed exits, um, trying to, you know, carry traffic, to, you know, that needed to get locally, really, um, you know, to, to, you know, to the location of, of the um, collapse bridge and, and on the other side, I think nine miles total. Um, and, and it worked you know, it worked satisfactorily. It was a grind, though. I can tell you that, you know, working with the police, more cones, more everything, you know, every night, night after night, we just kept adjusting it. And and ultimately, you know, there were some locations where we turned, you know, uh, two-lane roads, two-way roads into one-way um, roads, basically two lanes, you know, or we milled out a median. We did whatever we could to kind of get... Um, um, you know, two lanes moving from the from the exit point to the next location on, and the Philadelphia Police did a you know they had a tremendous um, uh, responsibility, and th- there was probably fifty of them out there controlling streets, controlling intersections, and controlling kind of neighborhood like cut throughs through neighborhoods to try to get out to these roads, just you know to kind of allow it to function as best as possible. And it, and it did. It amazingly did. Um, you know, and, and when we talk traffic, I really also need to talk about our regional transit agency, SEPTA, um, which, uh, you know, increased their service for along their kind of the Northeast corridor there. And, and that helped significantly. I know their ridership was up quite a bit. And, um, you know, thank goodness for telework, too. I'll say that. Yeah. So in terms of the larger scale diversions, did you involve the FHWA, the federal government? Because they certainly have data on truck flows that might have been useful. Yeah, they, well, they were involved pretty much, you know, daily. We had um, a lot of meetings, you know, a lot of hands in this. Um, and, and Federal Highway was a big, you know, major partner. We have a great relationship with Federal Highway Administration, and, and they were involved. They, you know, helped us through the, um, 
you know, there was an emergency declaration, fortunately, and, and you know, we tried to do this similarly to how they um, assisted uh, the state of Pennsylvania, not not this region, but more the Pittsburgh region, with the Fern Hollow Bridge collapse oh, yes, for, right. uh, a, a couple years back. So we kind of followed that same process. They were a critical partner with us. Were there other partners? You mentioned the other states, the Federal Highway Administration, local police. It, were you bringing these people together on a, on a daily basis? Yes, I, I can say really the first thing that we did was, um, I, I mean, immediately um, before I even got out to the site, our assistant um, district executive for construction had contacted two contractors. All right. One was Abenizio is their name. And they were working very close, like really right at that same interchange, which the opposite side of the interchange was under construction. And so they had some equipment there. And Buckley and Company was another contractor that we had a few miles up the road on another I-95 project. And they're, you know, a a major contractor with a lot of capacity and and the the connections, you know, in order to get material and equipment. So, you know, one of the, that was critical to get them involved as soon as possible. And, and I would say, you know, the, the Philadelphia Office of Emergency Management set up two calls a day. So all the partners you mentioned, I, I mentioned and you mentioned, um, we were all on, you know, with the fire department, the police department, the Philadelphia Streets Department, the, um, you, you know, the SEPTA. Uh, Philadelphia Water Department was a critical partner because they had a, um, as it turned out, under under uh, the, the, the bridge there, like on the ramp, um, it's called the Cottonman Avenue northbound off ramp is what we call it. Um, they had, you know, some significant older structures underneath, a big, large combination sewer box culvert, I think six foot by nine foot and a 30 inch uh, vitrified clay pipe that, you know, concerned about, um, you know, their infrastructure under there. So, so they were a major partner as well. And you met at least twice a day by yeah. through a call? Yes, Yes, okay. that was just with the Office of Emergency Management. We had internal calls here with, you know, uh, PennDOT Area Command in, in, in Harrisburg as well, at least once, twice. There was a lot of, you know, briefing a lot of people. Um, you know, Federal Highway Administration was on those calls with our central office. Um, so th- there were there were a lot of calls. And and our Incident Command Center was, was basically um, – running for 24-7. So if something came in from, say, for example, the Philadelphia police, they need 200 cones, you know, we have somebody there to communicate that and we can work on getting getting those resources. So was there one person in charge? I, I, it's hard to say there's one person in charge, but, I, you know, of anybody, if I had to say there was really one person in charge, I would give that credit to our transportation secretary, Mike Carroll, here in, um, you know, Pennsylvania. He um, He was there every day. You know, um, he was there, you know, he's from uh, northeast Pennsylvania and now serving in in Harrisburg, obviously. But um, he he was there every day, um, had a hotel locally. And, you know, he he was a big reason. Like he was basically the liaison with the governor's office. So, you know, there was very little like like between him being there and and our office here, um, a regional office for the Philadelphia regions and the King of Prussia, which is like a Western suburb about 20 miles outside Philadelphia. I mean, there was a lot of, um, you know, uh, everyone, the communication was outstanding and, and, you know, uh, transportation secretary Carroll really, um, you know, was the face of, of the event and, and, you know, supportive and, 
um, you know, really, really um, uh, the key person here that made everything work. So where did you look for quick fix solutions or did the solution come to you very, very obviously? It's, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think, uh, I guess the bridge, I guess one thing worth mentioning is that the bridge that we're talking about here had just been reconstructed roughly eight years ago. Okay. So it was well known that that Philadelphia Water Department infrastructure was, was underneath it. And a lot of our senior construction staff had worked with um, the, the backfill wall system you know, that we went with here. Um, I, I can talk about that in a little bit, but they had used it before. And the contractor, Buckley, that we brought in had actually worked with it before and had really recently won a bid using it again um, uh, on a project about seven or eight miles south in Center City, Philadelphia. So I would say that the use of this ultra lightweight um, recycled foam glass aggregate was, I think, on front of mind as a possible solution here for, for a lot of people having been experienced to it. We hadn't used it on a lot of jobs, but, you know, when you use unique uh, material and stuff, you, you, you know, you, you become familiar with it and, and it's, it's hard to leave your mind. This stuff really is about, I think it's only about, you know, 15% of the weight of typical backfill, which, you know, really serves a purpose in, in this situation with the concern about crushing the infrastructure underneath. So, and my understanding is it's essentially a waste material. It's, it's, I think like roughly 99% um, recycled container glass. So it's, you know, the, 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 the information that I was told was that what we use to backfill, you know, those basically three lanes in each direction um, um, out there was about 8 million glass bottles, 12 ounce glass bottles. It's amazing. So, that was available. That quantity of material was readily available. Yes. So Aero Aggregates is the um, you know the company that 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 makes this, and we had used it as I mentioned on just a handful of other projects, mostly where you would have issues with you know soil bearing capacity. Like you wouldn't use this normally. You would use this when you need a specialty product that weighs you know twenty to twenty five you know pounds a cubic foot rather than 125 or whatever, you know? So, um, it's a specialty, uh, material, but, um, it, it's only 25, maybe 25 miles away. I'm estimating in, in Delaware County, um, just down 95, just off I-95. And, and, you know, it was, uh, it's it, it, it really, a, it really was the perfect fit, um, for this situation. As I mentioned, Buckley, the contractor had recently won an award on, on, um, Another project that that he had got hadn't really, you know, they haven't really, you know, hit that hard yet. There's some utility work in the beginning, but he has, I think, eighty thousand yards uh, um, coming as part of that project of this material, and this location was about eight thousand. So that was, you know, a, a key opportunity where um, something was available for us to use. Because you're right, what you're hitting at is absolutely accurate that. You know, anything precast or prefabricated is where we need to look because things have lead times and we didn't have time for that, frankly. So what's a bearing capacity? I mean, obviously it has the sufficient bearing capacity, but is it comparable to what you would use as a, a routine backfill like a, a soil? Yeah, it's just it's just different. It has, you know, certain qualities that, that make it um, – valuable. And in this system that it's in, I guess the official term would be a, um, I 
I think like a mechanically stabilized earth wall, I guess is what you would call it. But it's basically like a like a wire. We call it a wire wall. Okay, it's just like kind of a portion of a cage, not like a whole gabion, but like you know an L-shaped portion of a of a cage with a geogrid fabric, which is really you know provides all the tensile strength for it. You know, wrapped. I think I think at 18 inch lifts, this material inside there. Um, so it gives kind of once you put the wire wall, it gives kind of a you know a straight um, you know uh, uh, edge. So it looks like a box almost. And, and I, you know, obviously, when you get towards the top, you can't go 18 inches anymore. You have to kind of grade it to meet the road. But it's a, you know, it's a, it was a fantastic use here. And it's been used in that situation before, you know, just where, um, you know, regular traditional backfill isn't really an option. So did you, did you put beams on top of that to carry the roadway? No, it was just uh, what's out there is just you know uh, sub base on top of it, and and you know we had integrated uh, uh, barriers like moment slabs and and you know uh, barrier for the outside and medium barrier for the inside. Um, you know, mostly prefabricated. They did have to um, prefabricated well in advance, but um, you know, and often aimed for another another project. You know, that's where. You know, Buckley, the contractor, and, and some of my staff, you know, made calls to see where some things were available. But all these things were used. But in the end, you know, this the, this backfill is topped with sub-base and then asphalt. And it's basically out there, you know, it's a, a roadway section with asphalt is is what you see. So it, it's really like building on, on uh, directly on the earth. It's it, There's no uh, other structure underneath. It's like a retaining wall. Yeah, is the best way, you know, like okay. on both sides. So uh, that's an amazing solution. It came together very quickly, and as you describe it, it was already close at hand. Yes, it was. Uh, you know, that some things aligned for us very well here, no question. So, what's the long term outlook for, for that? How long can you leave that in place, or is is does it have an indefinite life? Uh, oh, it, it has an indefinite life, but um, you know, the one of the neat things about it is, you know, it is strange because you blow this material in and then you vacuum it out, so it can be reused as well. So it is more expensive, but it can also be reused, which. Um, you know, is an unintended benefit. You know, in in, in using this uh, in in this situation, if if uh, you know what I mean. So, w- w- shortly, um, immediately after, um, you know, the temporary fix was done, and um, the temporary fix was actually we had already started working on a permanent fix, like from the design perspective, making sure the um, traffic control for a permanent solution aligned with the traffic control that we're using for. Um, you know, this temporary solution. And, and you know, on, on projects on I-95 and, and urban Philadelphia and any urban area, it's all about staging traffic, you know, an inner, outer, you know, um, left, right. You, you do your switches and you make things align. And, and what we did here was, if you can imagine a total cross-section here of 16 beams, okay, eight on the northbound, eight on the southbound. If you um, just take the eight in the middle, so you would have the eight, four on each side, eight in the middle. That's what we backfilled, an area of that, um, uh, you know, magnitude. And then where the, if you can imagine what we're doing now, we just last month, we, at the end of last month, we set four beams on each side. So what we're doing is we're heading for later this fall, a traffic switch, you know, to complete those bridge decks on the outer sides and 
switch traffic over to them later this fall. And then at that point, we can remove the, the, the backfill and, and wall system and then kind of work in the middle and put those middle eight beams um, in, complete that deck, and then, you know, open up I-95. I mean, the, 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 we would probably be able to open up the ramp um, underneath and do that and do 95 under traffic if we get, you know, a little bit of luck. But, but you know, there, there is some other, um, not the, there's some infrastructure underneath the ramp there that um, we're going to take advantage of it being closed to, to fix because, you know, I mean, when you have a fire, gas goes down certain um, pipes and, and ignites and, and, you know, we have issues and we're, we're still investigating all that we have to do, but it's probably, probably not going to open that off ramp until at the same time we open the um, mainline I-95. Um, probably we're hoping late spring, early summer. But in the meantime, you've got full use of I-95. Yes. You know, it's three lanes. So I, I will say having this having this specific section having been rebuilt, because it's a tremendous challenge to rebuild I-95. I-95 in the city of Philadelphia is almost almost entirely structure. It's all elevated. So, so you know, this was a piece that had been done, but pieces on both sides of it are still being done or still to be done. So th- these stretches here had actually four lanes in each direction. So what we, you know, constructed and had opened to traffic was three lanes in each direction. So when we reopen it, it'll go back to four. But frankly, you know, on either side of that, you still have, you know, areas that will be down to three during construction for, for, for years to come. Is this a solution, particularly you, this use, innovative use of this material, does that have a life going forward? Do you th- see other organizations or yours finding another way to use this material for a quick response and a quick uh, restart I, in a unique situation yes i mean i don't see i don't see why you know you, you wouldn't want to use something like this frankly you know but like i said it's a specialty product um you know and you know it, there is a you're going to have to get lucky or at least look to you know um like the capacity of how much they can they can create quick enough for, for a solution like this. Um, you know, it may have to already be available, if, if you know what I mean. They may have to look to other jobs that they have to, to kind of support it in a unique situation. But I, I would think it goes in the in the list of uh, unique solutions for unique situations, but ways to restore operations very quickly when you need to do that. There's no question. I, you know, we couldn't have been more fortunate. And that, and the, if we combine that with... Uh, uh, multi-agency organizational strategy that used to do this brought you back into operation in 12 days. Yes. Um, I, I would, you know, I think all of us would have taken that <laughs> in the beginning. If you said it would have been 12 days, we will, we all would have taken that and we would have said <laughs> terrific. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, it's almost un- unbelievable. Lou, I really thank you for spending the time to explain this project to us. It's, uh, you've given us a lot of detail and uh, we have to give you credit, you and your colleagues credit for pulling this together so quickly in, in such a clever way. So thanks, and we'll watch what you do to uh, get the full restoration of I-95 in the years to come. Thanks a lot, Professor. Thank you. Really appreciate okay, right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Infrastructure Show. If you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did, please subscribe to our podcast and encourage your friends to join us too. The Infrastructure Show is recorded at the Studio Media Recording Company in Evanston, Illinois. 
under the direction of Scott Steinman, recording engineer with a commitment to great sound. Our producer is Marion Sowers, a journalist with a passion for infrastructure. And I am Professor Joseph Schofer. Few people are more curious about infrastructure than I. <laughs>